0: pizza party podcast
1: Uh, my name is the pizza
0: and I'm Adam and uh, we talk about politics and TV mostly Um, I think today maybe mostly politics we'll see
1: yeah Uh, so we took a bit of a hiatus since our last episode to uh, do some traveling be sick do some other things Uh, but we're back and hopefully we will, uh, be putting these out a little bit more regularly from here on out. Although I'm sure there'll be some break for things like Christmas and new year and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, I just kind of wanted to keep you guys up to date on that, um, that we don't always plan to have like a month in between episodes. Uh, so... Do you want to get us started?
0: Um, Okay, we can start. Oh, I don't have my notes. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so obviously a lot of things have happened since we last talked into this microphone, and uh, we're not going to, you know, cover every single thing. We don't feel the need to cover everything that happens in the news. And if you are a a bit of a political or news junkie like we are, you know, You've already heard a lot about the shootings that happened and Trump on Monday saying we shouldn't allow Muslims in here. Um, I I am going to touch on the shootings a little bit, though. Just I want to talk about encryption and uh, some comments that were made recently. Um, So in the wake of the shootings, a lot of people um, in the government and some like People who write editorials for newspapers are arguing that we need to get rid of encryption. Hopefully you know a bit about how encryption works. If you have two iPhones and you're communicating between them, those messages are encrypted. If you're on WhatsApp, it's encrypted. A lot of websites now um, encrypt your connection. And what that means is that the information is encoded as it's being transited across the open internet so people can't just spy in on you and see what you're doing. If we didn't have encryption like that, you wouldn't know for sure whether you're really at ebay.com or paypal.com and entering your information in. Um, so it could Somebody could fake the website if they have enough um, access to do something like that. It's it's a, just a piece of the internet backbone at this point, but still senators like Dianne Feinstein, um, James Comey from the FBI have been attacking encryption for over a year And they're they're using these attacks as an excuse to um, attack encryption again. And even Obama and Hillary have come out and made statements, and Trump has made a statement against encryption on the internet. Um, And a lot of people use a lot of these people arguing to get rid of encryption are saying terrorists are we can't see what they're doing, Um, and they refer to like the Paris attack. But it turns out in the Paris attack they made no attempts to cover their tracks they communicated over open text messages not encrypted they um they they were on they were known like the guy who planned it had written an article for an isis magazine saying that he was going to bomb things so they they knew his name and he had done things in the past but he was still booking hotel rooms in his own name in france um they they did not use encryption. They did nothing to cover their tracks. They actually returned to the scene of the crime. The the head planner from Belgium came back to the, what was it called, Bataclan, the music venue, and literally returned to the scene of the crime, the oldest cliche about criminals in the book, and they still couldn't catch him. So giving so. them more power, I don't see how that would help. Like they didn't need...
1: Well, this is the same exact tactic as after nine eleven, right? You use, what's that say? That old, um, like, never let a, tra- a tragedy go to waste or something a like that? Crisis. A good crisis. go to waste, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, they use the moment when people are most scared or there's a feeling of uncertainty to expand their powers, basically. You know, obviously, like, the Patriarch was this, disproportionate response to 9-11 um and here we have a more modern version rather than we'll be allowed to come in your home and look around when you're not there we'll be able to come in you know through the back door into your phone computer whatever and look around um in this more i guess modern way uh and i think it just your point about the fact that, you know, they used they didn't use encryption at all to plan this attack really kind of gives away the fact that this, it, this is a lie. This isn't about security. This is obviously about spying on citizens. You know, I mean, it's pretty clear that this is like government overreach and not um, not won't protect us in any meaningful way. And on top of that, I think it shows that um, the governments across the world are spying so intensely on citizens and collecting so much data that they can't actually do anything um, meaningful with it. So they, you know, probably picked up those texts and all they can do is like look at them now after the fact and analyze them maybe now for some more information, but they weren't able to use them in the way that we would ideally want the government to use them, which is to prevent the attack from ever happening. So I think basically (laughs) this is a lot of bullshit on on the part of the government, uh, both here and abroad, That um, or governments abroad, I should say, that, uh, you know, they're going to do things to protect us and keep us safe and those things might be ugly or we might not like them but that's what they have to do to keep us safe because it's just it's just not true and we yeah. see that it's just not true
0: yeah it, it just doesn't even work like it would be one thing to um be willing to give up your rights if it would actually keep you safe but it's if it's not going to keep you safe why what's the point give up your your freedom And that that takes us to Hillary's quote. Hillary and Trump both put out statements in the past few days, and they're like identical about encryption. Um, We'll start with Trump. He said, uh, we're losing a lot of people because of the internet. We have to do something. We have to go see Bill Gates and different people that understand what's happening. We have to talk to them, maybe in certain areas, closing that internet up in some ways. Somebody will say, oh, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. These are foolish people. We have a lot of foolish people. We have a lot of foolish people. So that's yeah. Trump.
1: Yeah, so Donald Trump thinks Bill Gates is the czar of the Internet. <laughs> and, uh, he loves America so much that he hates freedom of speech. <laughs> One of our, like the fundamental things we were based on.
0: Okay, but here's how Hillary Clinton starts her statement. You're going to hear all of the usual complaints, you know, freedom of speech etc the
1: same same bullshit different person saying it yeah
0: same bullshit um so you're gonna hear all the usual complaints you know freedom of speech etc but if we truly are in a war against terrorism i would say we're not but okay and we're truly looking for ways to shut off their funding shut off the flow of foreign fighters then we've got to shut off their means of communicating. It's more complicated with some of what they do on encrypted apps. I'm well aware of that. And that requires even more thinking about how to do it. <laughs> Again, you pointed out, this sounds like Trump, even at the end. She's like, I'm good on this issue. I'll be the best on this issue. I'm aware that they use encryption. Uh, but she actually has a, a bit more specific statement here that she made a couple days ago um, that I wanted to to take a look at do a little bit of a close read on uh before i do that i don't know what do you think i had this idea san bernardino colorado springs like in colorado springs it's two. it's a married couple
1: no san bernardino is a married what couple. did i
0: say oh yeah san bernardino married couple yeah how would it, spying on encrypted communications i don't know it's just literal talking to somebody that you live with
1: yeah i know
0: yeah there's there's no way spying on encrypted communications would help there so we went over how that's not going to help in paris and colorado springs
1: it's just crazy man
0: well it's it's he like
1: communicating with anybody I, no, don't think no, so. I don't think
0: so it's a single guy who was inspired by public rhetoric yeah by things people were saying publicly
1: and by the propaganda being put out by anti-choice uh, yeah. groups so. and
0: it's the same i guess if you think San Bernardino was an ISIS-inspired terror attack. It's the same. Like it wasn't doesn't seem to be coordinated. They were maybe inspired or they wanted this motif of terrorism no. on there. Violence.
1: It was only after the fact that the government looked at this woman's profile on Facebook or whatever and was like, "Oh, a day prior she expressed support for ISIS on her Facebook profile or whatever." Yeah. Which it's like, okay, You see how by spying on everybody, you're creating a constant needle in a haystack situation because they they never identify. Why didn't they like if this is an effective way of fighting terrorism, then why didn't they identify her before the attack happened? Why wasn't it that on the day that she expressed support for ISIS, someone wasn't like, Knocking on her door and saying, hey, we need to talk to you. Not like we need to, like, disappear you or anything crazy, but just like, you know, hey, what's this about? What's going on in your life? Like-
0: oh, yeah, that reminds me. One other thing related, um, but, oh, sorry. But if they want to ban secret communication, but all these attacks were public in the open, Yeah, you know, inspired by political rhetoric, at what point do they start banning political rhetoric? And actually, well that's, they're
1: already talking about how yeah. free speech isn't that important, and, and banning it on the internet yeah. where is a more public place for rhetoric, then. yeah,
0: part of what Obama, Hillary, and Trump are saying isn't just we need to spy on encryption. they're saying we need Facebook and Twitter to like censor yeah. speech about terrorists, yeah,
1: yeah, so that's all we're we're it's not at what point it's like
0: you know. That's that'd be an interesting issue to talk about some other time, maybe. Yeah. Like I'm not really against Facebook taking down ISIS accounts or getting rid of Twitter accounts. I'm I think I'm pro that, but um, it's I don't know. It's not gonna destroy like, ISIS.
1: Yeah, obviously there should also be like clear guidelines. It shouldn't be like or clear like criteria or whatever. Yeah. It shouldn't just be like uh. Well, it's just it seems like. A very slippery slope. I mean, I'm not always in favor of the slippery slope argument yeah. but in this case, it really does seem like okay, well, what is you know, terrorist speech and like how do we define that and you know, what constitutes an ISIS profile versus like, I don't know, someone who just says stuff against America that America doesn't like, you yeah. know, that's from the Middle East, right? Like, I I can just see how it like quickly turns into like a P- apparently, apparently there
0: was a facebook account dedicated to documenting the atrocities committed by isis that got taken down and banned well, There you go. <laughs> yeah even though you know they were people like on the ground in the region yeah, who were, really were anti-isis
1: bring awareness to the yeah
0: uh before we get back to encryption real quick though um this is kind of a, just a informative bit that i want to get out there the freedom act went into effect it was passed six months ago and it was touted as getting rid of the NSA's warrantless wiretapping of Americans. Um, so after these attacks, um, Diane Feinstein and some other people are like, oh, we shouldn't have weakened the NSA. We need to make them stronger again. Yeah. Um, and some news agencies don't understand the issue and are reporting that position as if it's legitimate. but the NSA, it, this did not curb their ability to spy on people. Um, at most, So it got rid of one, it's, it got, it's, it's hard to know even what the NSA is doing because they keep their legal arguments secret, just like the president. That's why, um, like the torture stuff about the Bush administration is mostly leaked and why we didn't know anything before Snowden, because they don't just keep secret what they're doing. They keep secret what their lawyers tell them they can legally do, which is insane to me. They keep secret their legal arguments. But if you keep legal arguments secret, then they're never tested.
1: That's what I was going to say. They must be ironclad then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what the Freedom Act did was take care of one um, article that they relied on to argue that they could spy on all Americans whenever they wanted. But there's a more sweeping executive order passed by Reagan that they justify their spying under that wasn't touched. So the Freedom Act... Probably didn't do anything to curb the NSA's ability to spy. So, and somebody like Diane Feinstein in the government would know that. So, you know, if they're out there saying that the Freedom Act weakened the NSA, that they're lying to you and they just want more power. Um, so just a quick update about that. So the news doesn't confuse you on the issue because they just, I don't think most reporters know um, the issue that well. Uh, but back to encryption, uh, back to the needle in the haystack thing um wanna... it's hubris right yeah. the idea like oh if we just let the NSA spy on everybody maybe that's distasteful you know maybe that seems like a bad idea but they'll be able to stop the terrorists well yeah. that doesn't turn out to be true yeah. um so when Hillary Clinton's talking about an encryption to George Stephanopoulos uh she's basically trying to argue that we can get our best minds to come together and they'll figure out a way for us to bust encryption without violating anybody's rights or make the internet weaker um so stephanopoulos asks her you know how about apple no more encryption and she says this is something i've said for a long time george they're old friends of course (laughs) because stephanopoulos worked for bill i have to believe that the best minds in the private sector in the public sector could come together to help us deal with this evolving threat and you know i know what the argument is from our friends in the industry i respect that Nobody wants to be feeling like their privacy is invaded. But I also know what the argument is on the law enforcement side and from security professionals. So please, let's get together and try to figure out the best way forward. But, uh.
1: Well, first of all, law enforcement officials, or whatever she said, and uh, security professionals are not on the same side on this issue at all. Like James Comey from the FBI. Wants that, like, what did he... He asked... The, he wanted, like, a magic key or something.
0: I don't know what she means when she says security professionals. She can't because, mean like, computer security. Okay, because
1: I was, okay, was no. going to say, like, Schneider and, like, a ton of other people, like, got together recently to write a letter to the FBI explaining why... Having a back door to everything is impossible and a terrible yeah. idea. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's the thing. So, it's just impossible. I
1: don't know what she's talking about when she says that they're on the same side, yeah. first and foremost. Um,
0: I, I am reading this from an article on Tech Dirt, and if you're interested in these issues, check out techdirt.com. They report on them very well and constantly. But they make the point that what she's saying would be like making a bullet that only kills bad people yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just impossible no matter how smart or capable you think our computer science professionals are they can't get you encryption that works when we want it to and doesn't work for bad guys
1: Exactly. yeah
0: it's just it's just math if you want to get rid of encryption you would just have to ban math <laughs> um, it's not even complex math um, but my broader point was, like, that's a logical fallacy. The idea that, oh, Americans, we're smart. Yeah, we can yeah. just, we if we go in with the right intentions and we do things smart and we put capable people on it, we can do anything. Mm. That's why we get embroiled in these wars in the first place. Yeah. Because we think, oh, Assad's bad. Let's go in there and we'll get rid of him. And, you know, we might have to arm some militants that are... A little bit terroristic but it'll work out in the long run because we're smart and capable it's just it's hubris it's the same
1: yeah and then the arms that we use to arm those slightly terroristic militants end up in the hands of isis and isis has like western made weapons because we tried to arm the syrians like yeah we think that we can control the situation but you know it's our hubris like we were saying that leads us astray and it's the same thing there's no magic bullet that is only going to you know work when uh the u.s wants it to and the rest of the time it's okay that those arms have like flooded the that region you know
2: yeah
0: but for me that is like my biggest problem with hillary or obama and definitely a lot of republicans too just the idea that um we can go in and we're smart we're capable we'll um make good things happen in the world yeah yeah instead of being guided by morals it's like um arguing for torture on a rational basis like well there must be we saw Sam Harris arguing this the other day yeah. well there must be some scenario you can imagine where torture would be acceptable right i
1: think he was it, trying to argue it, I think that. he was trying to argue like a ticking bomb scenario where you have the terrorist and he has, like, um, knowledge about, like, some, you know, terrorist or event, like, that's about to happen. And so, in that case, is it immoral to torture him? No, it's not, because you're gonna, like, save lives and Mm -hmm. that, you know, basically saying, um collateral damage is worse than uh, torture and therefore we have to torture.
0: He was literally, he literally said you would be a terrible person not to torture them in that situation. Yeah. And you, when you come full circle on an issue like that, I don't know, you should know that you're in the wrong.
1: Well, we don't even need to like, the thing to me that's stupidest about that is we don't need to talk about a hypothetical scenario that, doesn't exist and hasn't happened because we've already tortured people and we've seen over and over again that it doesn't work that when you torture people they will say literally anything to get the torture to stop and they'll start to try to figure out what their torturers want them to say and say that instead of the truth Because, oh, first of all, like in the case with Guantanamo, a lot of people there weren't actually terrorists, so they didn't have any information to give. But secondly, even the people that were like bad actors or whatever we want to call them, you know, they are just human and as humans like we want torture to stop so like we will say anything to make it stop and we saw over and over again that that's what happens like um what's that guy's name that was talking to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed before we started torturing him
0: um if there's a guy named Ali Soufan who was an FBI interrogator and yeah he was investigating or interrogating Khalid Sheikh Mohammed as soon as we captured him and using basically police tactics um, he says that you have to form a rapport with somebody, yeah. and you make them feel like they have them. They put themselves in a terrible position, and now they're caught. And I, as the investigator, you know, maybe we can work something out to yeah, make I can it
1: help you out of this. Basically, yeah, you know,
0: I can help make it a little better. Yeah, and that's how he gets information out of people, basically. And he got a lot of information out of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, and then um, all, the next day, basically, the CIA showed up and said, "Get out of here!" I started torturing. Sheikh Mohammed apparently he was waterboarded like 180 times yeah what what are you getting on the 179th time (laughs) that you didn't get on the 88th time yeah at at that point it's just sadistic
1: yeah exactly we're like they
0: didn't get any actionable information that's what Congress found when they investigated
1: yeah and so it's like we don't need to um like if torture worked then maybe in that ticking time bomb scenario you could be like okay well this is the one instance where it's okay to torture but even in that scenario it it's not okay because you're not going to get any good information out of that person it it would be so much better to create the rapport and to get the actual information that you need out of him and then put him on trial and have punishment be served rather than have the CIA you know waterboard someone a hundred and eighty times that's that's punishment. We're rendering yeah. punishment without any kind of legal process. That's yeah. all you're doing and it's like a really fucked up form of punishment yeah. that we know is not only unconstitutional but it's completely inhumane. It's barbaric. Yeah. What yeah. are we doing?
0: Of course it doesn't work. it's evil. yeah, exactly. you shouldn't do things that are evil yeah. and that's my broader point. When Hillary Clinton has to start off her statement saying, Oh, people will complain about free speech, etc., these are foolish people. Yeah. Or we go into the Middle East and start bombing things. It's like, Yeah, you know, we're bombing things. Civilians are going to die. Children are going to be killed, homeless, parentless, but, you know, it'll be better in the long run.
2: Yeah.
0: You apparently we can convince ourselves of these things really easily, but still, it, from just on a gut level, you know it's wrong. And then after the fact, it never works out anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know.
1: No, I totally agree. Actually, uh, I was watching Top Chef and had some thoughts related to <laughs> this, which uh, I know sounds weird. Maybe we'll get into it. Um, no,
0: we can do that now. That's a, that's where I wanted to end up with okay. that discussion, actually.
1: All right. Um. So, okay, this is going to sound so weird right after that discussion, though. Because uh, it sounds like I'm, like, going way off.
0: <laughs> well, is getting into Top Chef because she's writing recaps for um, a, a website.
1: Yeah, a website called TV.com You can check it out. Um, my recaps are not particularly thoughtful, but they are mean and snarky and kind of funny. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out. Um... But anyway, so sometimes when I'm watching Top Chef, I have thoughts that don't fit into the Mean Snarky recap. Um, And this is one of those uh, thoughts. So I'll play the quote first that kind of triggered me and then we can talk about it a little bit.
0: I'm making some egg noodle tagliolini yeah? with an Italian take on Vietnamese chicken pie. I'm excited to mix Vietnamese and Italian cuisine. If you have your head up, your culinary ass, you're never going to grow as a chef. Cooking is a continuation of philosophy because it's a study of aesthetics, gustatory aesthetics, but there's nothing more connected with human existence than the cultural manifestation of cuisine.
2: I think I did noodles for
0: 200. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So what was he doing as he said that?
1: Yeah, he's he's just making noodles, <laughs> okay? That's all he's doing. Um, and then, more broadly, later, he's going to try to make a chicken pho, which is just chicken noodle soup, really, yeah. you know? It's and just ch- chicken noodle soup. He's
0: like, I'm blending Italian and Vietnamese cuisine by making noodles. They both have noodles.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> so they that both guy's, use noodles. Yeah, so that guy's definitely an asshole, Um but... Uh, what it made me think about was how um, a lot of times in um, professions, I think particularly professions that are um, seen as feminine. But maybe, maybe especially when they're dominated by men, like so in, the, in this case, I'm obviously talking about like cooking is seen as very feminine, but then chefs are especially like executive chefs and at like the highest levels are often men. And so I think you have this weird p- push and pull where these these me- men want to um, basically like take the emotion out of what they're doing, because emotion is obviously very feminine um, in our society. That's how we read emotion, usually. And they, they kind of, like, try to take the emotion out of everything to make themselves feel like they've really elevated their chosen profession and their craft, and that they are masters of... Um, Of what they're doing. And so, you know, you also notice, I think they even talked about it at the beginning of this episode, actually. I think they mentioned, like, oh, uh, it's really dangerous being a chef. You know, we use knives and flames. And, (laughs) you know, if you know anything about sort of, like, the world of professional chefs, they're... And certainly if you've ever just watched Top Chef, they're always portrayed as, like, rock stars in the kitchen, you know, and they they live fast and hard and they work 12-hour days and then they...
0: Do a lot of drugs, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. When they get off of, uh, you know, at 2 a.m., they do drugs and then, you know, they get all these, like, burns and they have tattoos to, like, mark their experiences. And, you know, you always hear some story on Top Chef about how someone was, like, working as, you know, a potato peeler for three years under mm-hmm. some awful chef and they were totally miserable but now they've made it you know and they they persevered through the hard times so there's a, just a lot of like n- you know almost myth making also I think that goes into it but I think the biggest aspect of it that I noticed especially when he talks about you know the philosophy and gustatory aesthetics and things like that is that he's really trying to talk about it in this way of like of, to make it like very technical right so usually when you think of chicken noodle soup the reason that you love chicken noodle soup is because someone who loved you probably made it for you like your grandma or your mom and it's associated with memories of being taken care of maybe when you were sick you know the reason you love chicken noodle soup isn't because grandma mastered the gustatory aesthetics of noodles right like that is a very technical way to understand what you're doing and take all of the, like, again, the feminine emotion out of it. Um, So anyway, this is my long-winded way of saying that I've noticed that um, this happens a lot in these types of professions. Um, Again, certainly professions that where I think, like, as being a chef, it's almost like a sense of compensating for the fact that people think being in the kitchen is a woman's position in our society. Um, But I think it also goes out much more broadly than that, you know, so I was asking you a little bit about whether you see that with writers, um, or people maybe who write like poetry, because I think, even though I I think it's kind of similar, I think most writers that are famous are men, you know, certainly most books that get published are written by men. But I think that in general, like we think, oh, writing, that's like an emotional thing, writing poetry, that's an emotional thing. That's something like ladies do, you know. So I wonder if there's some of that.
0: Yeah, it definitely happens in writing. I would say it happens more with fiction, especially if you want to talk about being technical. Being technical in poetry, it's like a fraught proposition for people. Um, A lot of people don't want to be technical at all. They want to be more emotional and raw. But um, with with fiction writing, there's like this huge emphasis on the sentence and perfecting the sentence as a Mm -hmm. form and perfecting story structure. Yeah. And obviously, people like Hemingway, you know, are performing masculinity so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, if you just even think of the words like you know, like emotion, obviously, again, like what we think of as very feminine. And then when you use words like technical, mastery, um, when you talk about someone perfecting the sentence, it's like they're trying to take something like, writing that I think most people would consider pretty subjective yeah. and turn it into, like, an objective craft, you know, yeah. that you can say specifically, this is good because of da-da-da, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, if you just think of, like, subjective, I think you would associate more with feminine, objective more with masculine, you know? So mm-hmm. there's just this, like, very uh, almost maybe unconscious effort to, like, constantly, I think, as- if you're male especially, define yourself in these very masculine terms and uh and and obviously then we prize those masculine terms right like the more technical forms of writing or these male chefs who tend to um dominate all the awards uh ceremonies and things like that and in the cooking and it
0: definitely still happens with writing i mean you have you know david foster wallace being revered for being just a excellent writer yeah, yeah, or i don't know i guess people feel that way about jonathan franzen and yeah, well, dave eggers and stuff there was also... oh and even um what's the guy who's always telling you know humorous anecdotes on uh Garrison david Killen. sedaris oh yeah uh even he is like technically proficient even yeah, if he's yeah. really more a feat
1: yeah yeah well and there was a study recently um done on the um it was, like, a review of the books published in, like, the last year or something. And, like, the overwhelming majority were books by men mm-hmm. that um, the the traditional publishing houses had yeah. chosen. Yeah. So, I was, I've been thinking a lot about this. And um, then I started to, like, kind of broaden it out outside of Top Chef. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was thinking about how this idea that we can take the emotion out of things and make you know, rational, objective decisions is, um, like, pervasive throughout our society. And I think you can kind of see where I'm going with this based on our last discussion. But basically, you know, when we make decisions as a nation, and most of our decision makers are men, then we have, I think, a tendency to um, try to think, and 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 usually it's presented to us in this way, too, as like, this is the objectively rational reason to go to war, right? So like, oh, if we, you know, if we don't uh, depose Saddam, how many uh, more people will die? And it's like, you know, yes, this many Americans will die and this many civilians will die, but... You know, we have to get rid of Saddam because it's the rational thing to do. And also it's like in the best interests of our nation and, da, da, da. and like so we, you know, or maybe try to present it as almost like a cost benefit analysis kind of thing. Again, this feeling of like, no, look, we've got the formula. It's objective and therefore it's right. It's the right decision, yeah. you know. Um, and I, obviously, I think that when we do that, we sort of, mask the real horrors of what we're doing right we don't talk about all of the civilians that'll die you know when when we were in college i remember this uh exhibition came to our school that that, um that we were part of bringing like with acpc with the allegheny college peace coalition and it was um all these boots and there were all these boots representing the soldiers that had died, and then all these like l- like shoes, including like little children's shoes representing all the civilians that had died. And I forget each pair of boots was like a, like ten soldiers or something. And each pair of shoes was like crazy, like even more. And it yeah. just just filling the room up with these shoes just gave you a small sense of the amount of life being lost up to that point. And I'm talking about like, 2005 2006 you know
0: in and what like our wars in the middle east yeah
1: and and i believe it might have just been the iraq war honestly the exhibit might have been called something like boots on the ground or something like that mm-hmm. um anyway my point is just we try to take out the emotion to yeah make ourselves feel better i guess about the the horrifying decisions that, <laughs> that
2: yeah
0: it's pretty obvious when you see like we did, Sam Harris talking to Cenk Yager on The Young Turks old interview, yeah. And he's justifying why and when we can torture, and it's like, man, you make your living teaching at a cl- in a classroom sometimes, and like talking on the internet, and and here you are talking about when we can torture people. Yeah. What makes you an expert on torture? But um, it's it's like a good way to justify to yourself. Um, I think you can broaden it outside of just masculinity. Although I think that's very apt. It's like a way to justify, um, or fight uncertainty, you know, whether we're talking creative professions or political science, political science is not a science (laughs) and running a nation just because you're powerful and people expect you to be in charge and know what to do. There's no way you even feel like you know what to do all the time. But if you can like convince yourself, you know what, this seems like a terrible thing to do. So, Maybe it's a good thing to well, do. Maybe or, it's effective.
1: Or you convince yourself by looking at the hard numbers. Yeah. Right? And yeah. like um, like you said, you're trying to remove the uncertainty. So like, what's more certain than math, right? And yeah. then we like pervert some of these like ideas into...
0: Yeah. But when you start with a premise like, oh, maybe we should torture people. Your first instinct is, oh, no, that sounds terrible. But then if you use rationality to convince yourself that it's a good idea, then... It feels like you've done some work like yeah, oh yeah. I I guess you know I thought through it and this is just a, a good thing to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know and it's the same with creative professions I mean it's absurd to dedicate your life um like this top chef guy to making the best food you possibly can at what does that even mean who's to judge that it's the best food yeah. how how do you do that what makes it the best isn't it subjective yeah yeah um and food especially it's like Um, if you, if you're familiar with, if you ever took like a single art criticism class, there's like the distinction Apollonian and Dionysian. And, um, it's after the Greek gods Apollo and Dionysus and Dionysus is the god of getting drunk and having parties. Yeah. And Apollo is, you know, like this beauty statuesque statuesque guy. Um, so the distinction is like between art that is ephemeral and in the moment and, like a party versus things that are like statues and are meant to last forever and be perfect in their form and cooking is should be dionysian like if you if you go out to a restaurant half the fun is like if it's a cool space um this is why people on yelp get upset about customer service because that'll completely ruin your meal if you feel like you didn't have fun there yeah it's a dionysian act but if you're like no it's an aesthetic philosophical pursuit you can like justify to yourself your absurd quest to perfect it for no yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same in politics. Like we live in an extremely complex world. You cannot predict what consequences your actions will even have with certainty. But if you tell yourself you can, then I don't know, you can act like you know what you're doing, I guess.
1: Totally. No, I think that's that's a really good place to um probably sum up this Discussion. Um, I think you did a really good job, actually. Um, So uh, let's take a little break here. And then when we come back, we'll discuss Hillary and Bernie and um, whether or not it's worth it to uh, vote for a nominee in the general election that you don't actually believe in. We're talking okay so we're back um and we're going to talk about the upcoming election um and looking beyond just the primaries at the general election (laughs) so a lot of think pieces have been written discussing the question of whether progressives should vote for hillary clinton um and, and i'll post them onto the Are are
0: we gonna? There's two we're gonna talk about, right? Yeah. In particular, they're both on Salon. So if you want to look on Salon, one's by Walker Bragman, more like Reagan than FDR, and the other one is by Shane Ryan called "Just Let the Republicans Win."
1: Yeah, and I'll put them on our Facebook page too. Yeah. So basically, the question is, you know, as progressives, you know, right now we still have the option of Bernie Sanders. And if Bernie won, obviously, that would be incredible for us. (laughs) Won the primary, I mean, Um, and the general, obviously. But if Bernie doesn't win the primary and Hillary Clinton becomes the Democratic nominee, where does that leave people like us who are uh, really dissatisfied with the Demo- the Democratic Party as it currently is and the broader status quo in this country, especially when we look at sort of the uh, lack of change under our current Democratic president. Before reading these articles, honestly, I wasn't very certain where I stood on this issue. Um, on the one hand, I have a lot, a lot of problems with Hillary Clinton, which I think, especially the uh, more like, Reagan-than-FDR article really nails down. Um, That person, like, wrote every single (laughs) thing that is wrong in great detail. Um, So if you want, like, a really detailed rundown, go ahead and read that. Um, But I also worried about some stuff like the fact that we have some justices that are bound to be retiring soon, and the next president... Uh, may potentially get to choose... Well, certainly would if they did retire those justices.
0: And... Um, would it be just Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Or do you think someone else would be retiring in the next four years? I mean, it's really
1: hard to say, but, like... Scalia's pretty old, But you he's know? gonna die there. I guess so. I, I think um, a lot of people assume that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to because she looks so tiny and she yeah. speaks so <laughs> softly. But, like, she's still... Very strong and yeah. with it, like. Well,
0: she has said that she's not going to retire now because she's positive a Democrat's going to win next time. Yeah, she said that. Well, um, I
1: maybe she'll hold out for another four years if a Democrat.
0: Yeah, maybe. Doesn't win. I um, I was swayed by the argument previously that we should just vote for Hillary so that because the Supreme Court isn't so important. Yeah, because but after we're reading still these...
1: living with a Supreme Court that has largely been appointed by republicans specifically reagan and bush Mm -hmm. you know um and as a result we have a very pro corporate interest government right now
0: they are so corporate they're also on track to get um class action lawsuits oh that's
1: right that's crazy
0: how how can you say that basically people can almost never bring a class action lawsuit
1: yeah that case is basically um You can't have class action lawsuits unless all of the people suing collectively have experienced the exact same thing, the exact same wrong, um, which is crazy. And obviously, without class action lawsuits, people can't really afford to hold major corporations accountable. Um, So it's... Anyway, so there's a lot of reasons why living with a... um, Supreme Court largely appointed by Republicans has major consequences. And certainly before reading these articles, that weighed really heavily for me. And so I sort of felt like I'll probably vote for Hillary. um, Yeah, me too.
0: Even if,
1: um, you know, I don't like anything else about her. But after having read these articles, uh, I am definitely starting to feel very differently, um, and really starting to question that wisdom. Um, to start with, actually, while reading these articles and reading about her corporate ties, I started to question why I believe that if Hillary was up for nominating justices, that they would be any less corporatist than the justices we already have. Um, so just starting there, before we even get into any of the arguments of the articles they started to sort of trigger trigger my yeah. own
0: uh, we saw a list of her top 10 donors so far and th- three or four are, yeah of them
1: firms.
0: are major lobbying firms that serve America's biggest corporations yeah. and two or three of the other ones were giant corporations like Comcast
1: yeah yeah so <laughs> um, it seems unlikely that she would choose justices that would put people <laughs> over corporations um, so just starting there. Uh, not great. Um. But do you want to kind of sum up the case at all beyond?
0: Um, my favorite thing about the articles, if I could just jump yeah, to yeah. that, is uh, how they talk about new Democrats. And oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. That's. I didn't realize this was a thing until like a year or two ago because we were just children during the eighties, but um, under Reagan reagan won so hard that democrats like bill clinton f- thought they needed to realign more towards the right and they set up their own like th- um think tanks for that too like the democratic leadership council uh-huh. is that it and uh
1: i'm not sure if they're a think tank
0: um well, i don't know what they're organization they organization um so there's a great quote here um from the book what's the matter with kansas hmm. 2004 Uh, The Democratic Leadership Council, the organization that produced such figures as Bill Clinton, has long been pushing the party to forget blue-collar voters and concentrate instead on recruiting affluent white-collar professionals who are liberal on social issues. The larger interests that the Democratic Leadership Council wants to court are corporations capable of generating campaign contributions far outweighing anything raised by organized labor. So, and as a strategy to beat the ascendant Republicans, because they were doing so well under Reagan... Um, They thought, we will court powerful interests like Wall Street. Mm -hmm. That's why Hillary Clinton, when she ran for Senate, went to New York. She's not from New York. She went there because she could get Wall Street contributions. Um, And Bill Clinton kind of pioneered this approach on the national stage by running as a Democrat but saying things like, well, we got to cut welfare because if you have welfare, people just won't work, which is a complete Republican talking point. But he could adopt policies like that, um, well, it's like the idea of being a blue dog
1: Yeah, yeah, they basically did a cost-benefit analysis And decided workers, the best they could do In terms of donations is unions But you know who way outweighs unions In terms of giving? Wall Street Yeah. And Wall Street also tends to be socially liberal While uh, obviously being fiscally conservative So that really aligned well with their own views, basically Yeah
0: Um, so just to finish that quote real quick, the way to collect the votes and more important, the money of these coveted constituencies like corporations and wall street, new Democrats stand rock solid on say the pro-choice position while making endless concessions on economic issues, welfare, NAFTA, social security, labor, privatization, deregulation, uh, keep in mind, this is me talking not the quote under Clinton. That's when we deregulated banks with Glass-Steagall, um, which led to the financial collapse and we deregulated media Mm -hmm. which led to Rupert Murdoch owning you know half the media um and uh, allowed AT&T which was broke was busted because it was a monopoly in Mm -hmm. the past to become even bigger than it was when we busted it in the first place
1: it was the first time like just to just to make clear like Rupert Murdoch it's not just that he can own a ton of media the important thing is it was the first time when you could own a radio station and a news uh, a, a TV channel and newspapers and right so you could actually expand into all sorts of media that was previously yeah. regulated as well not just yeah. how much you could own um, and so basically you can bombard people with many different types of media to a get your message mm. out, right? Yeah. That's why we suddenly had this surge of like conservative media, right? Like we had yeah. Fox News and then you have the Murdoch papers, including now the Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. And and um, you have uh, all these, um, Clear Channel yeah. like owns all those talk radio stations yeah. that um, broadcast like Rush Limbaugh three hours a day. Yeah. So that was like a
0: yeah so you can blame new democrats for how shitty music was circa <laughs> late 90s <laughs> because clear channel owned everything yeah. and you had to pay clear channel to get on the radio yeah. which again was the scandal in the 50s payola yeah. which is like why we broke them up in the first place so anyway the quote just finishes that democrats no longer speak for the people on the losing end of a free market system that's becoming more brutal and more arrogant by the day um so that's my favorite part about the article is just summarizing where hillary comes from
1: so let's see. There's a few different things I wanted to talk about when we talk about um, this idea of whether or not we should consider as progressives um, or whether, you know, any anybody who doesn't like Hillary <laughs> should, but considers themselves to be not Republican um, should uh, consider, you know, not voting at all for Hillary and basically conceding the election to the Republicans because obviously that's... That's basically what we're doing. When there's low voter turnout, Republicans win. Or if Hillary doesn't get... A lot of votes then she's not likely to win and that means a Republican wins there's no other choice because we only have a two-party system in this country yeah.
0: so the only way you can win elections is by exciting your base yes and should we as the Democratic base be excited for Hillary or, right. maybe or should, pass it up
1: yeah and um, I think in the article they they talk about how over and over again the Democratic Party throws a bone rhetorically yeah. to the base during the primary and then reels it right back in and, you know, is completely centrist and establishment yeah. and corporatist as soon as the primaries are over.
0: You know what I think is a great example of that, just to get us started on, if I can interject, is the 12... She sets it at $12. That's what she wants for the minimum wage for nationally. Yeah. Why, why not go to 15 Because she's going to have to negotiate, just like Obama did with health care. She, if she w- pushes for 12 They're going to settle for nine or 10.
1: I also singled that out as um, an example that irks me. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that I kind of was thinking about that um, is that I think that really shows us in terms of uh, someone who is like Bernie Sanders and is like a principled progressive, um, what a difference of kind Hillary Clinton is, right? It's not just in degrees. It's not like, well, you're just getting someone who's a little less liberal. No, It's a completely different uh, viewpoint, right? And I think, again, stressing that idea that this is, she's coming from a fiscally conservative point of view with the New Democrats, Um so the reason that she sets it at twelve dollars an hour uh, is when when asked when pressed on why twelve not fifteen, uh, she says, "Well, I just it'll cost jobs, basically." Well, that's that's the Republican argument. Yeah. That's what Republicans think. It's really not a um, like substantiated argument at all. Um, but it's an argument made by the right. It's kind of the standard minimum wage uh, response that a lot of like yeah. business people make. It's a,
0: it's a trickle down argument, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. It's like they say that, well, McDonald's will have to hire less people if, you, if they have to pay $15 an hour. Yeah. But McDonald's is not in the business of hiring more people than it needs. Yeah. It cannot hire any less people than it does or it would do that already
1: unfortunately it's thought of as like econ 101 right where they're like oh if wages go up then employment must go down and it's basically like the law of supply and demand or whatever which obviously doesn't make any sense but i think that's sort of the the standard argument that gets but it made
0: but it's so biased because it ignores that if workers had more money they would produce more demand for more goods exactly it would be a boon for the economy
1: exactly I'm going to also read a quote now, because <laughs> um, to me, this, this quote really just made so much sense, um, be, and I think gets at what we're talking about, right? Like, So Hillary is basically trying to straddle two narratives here, the Obama narrative that government can be useful, and the Reagan narrative that it cannot. The taxes must not increase because government will simply waste the revenue because government is too big. In order to understand why Hillary sounds more like Reagan than FDR, we have to understand, and again the political tradition she comes from. Bill Clinton was a new Democrat, a group of socially liberal Reaganites who thought the path to recapturing the momentum for the Democratic Party was in finding the middle ground. However, by the 90s, the middle had already shifted due to alignment. It is 2015, and the middle is shifting again. This time, however, it is moving away from Milton Friedman's laissez-faire economic platform that has characterized the GOP narrative for a generation toward the Democratic Party, which is in turn becoming Elizabeth Warren's Democratic Party. Today, the Democrats do not need to sound like the Republicans of yesterday to get elected, but Hillary doesn't get that. And I think that fits right into what we're talking about with the $12 an hour wage. She can't she cannot bring herself to say that it should be $15 an hour because she's afraid that she won't be considered like oh, a serious Yeah person right in in terms of the way that republicans were the serious or the adults in the room or the serious Mm -hmm. people when it came to economics when she was like coming up you know she can't join us because she doesn't like that's the tradition she came up in and she fundamentally doesn't agree with with the way that um people like bernie sanders and us, the progressives, see the world the way Elizabeth Warren even, you know, sees the world. I think that that just really goes to show you, again, like, what a big difference we're talking about here in terms of how she will just want to maintain the status quo at best. And I think the other um, really good point that was made here in these articles was sort of a little thought experiment. Like, okay, what if we did have a Hillary Clinton presidency? What what would happen right
0: before before you move on to that i just have another example along with what you were saying before um and walker bragman talks about the sentence article her her position on um college affordability Mm. right yeah yeah yeah. so same thing yeah two things about that one she's like what did she say about oh we need to like means test it so we can't just give donald trump's kids free tuition like bernie sanders wants to do
1: Yeah, I hate that argument. That has nothing to do with anything. It's just like a straw man argument or something. Like, who cares if Donald Trump's children... uh, They they won't cost the the government any more money than anybody else's children, first of all. Yeah, totally. But they're also...
0: They're not going to a state school. Of
1: course. But if something happened uh, where Donald Trump suddenly became poor, because, I don't know, America has no safety net, uh, and his children needed to go to college in an effort to again better their lives. I'm not against them getting like a no. free college tuition to a state school. Also, okay. Also, whatever. if he's
0: rich, let's he'll pay more in taxes and yeah. we'll use that tax money yeah, to yeah. pay for more kids tuition than his own. So the when you're talking about taxes, we just talk about taxes as if it's a bad thing always no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And Hillary actually said, "I will never raise taxes on the middle class not for any reason." Why not? What if you provide? What if we had a bill everybody wanted to pass it to just give middle class people a hundred thousand dollars? You wouldn't raise a little bit of taxes on them to do that, you know. Just the best, most pie in the sky idea you can imagine. She wouldn't raise taxes on the middle class if, even if it gives them benefits above what those taxes cost. That's just stupid and it shows that she's just trapped in that Republican-dominated mindset.
1: Right. In the article, um, Hillary also, uh, they talk about, again, like this little thought experiment. So what we, do we think a Hillary presidency would look like? And the art, the um, uh, author says, we um, a Hillary presidency, we believe, would do very little to address wealth inequality and the situation in the middle cl- and working classes would continue to deteriorate. Republicans would have another villain to turn their base against, maybe even a better villain than Obama, and a means of escaping accountability yet again. Maybe they'd win the next presidential election, and if not, they'd at least stir up enough hatred and backlash to maintain their ironclad grip on Congress and statewide offices. When 2020 came, they gerrymandered the hell out of every district in the country to ensure another decade of legislative dominance. It's status quo all the way, and status quo doesn't work. And to me, that like really, really hit home in terms of why a Hillary presidency would be terrible. First of all, I love the point that he makes that Republicans have an ironclad grip on Congress and statewide offices. Because we've had the presidency for the last eight years, I don't think most Democrats realize how little power the Democratic Party actually has in this country. If a Republican were to become president, they would have a much easier time passing any type of legislation that they want to.
0: And they dominate state legislatures where a bunch of the most odious things that they're passing well, happen
1: where gerrymandering happens where maps are drawn,, yeah. and then they can ensure that they continue to dominate Congress yeah. through their gerrymandering.
0: but they also, but even the laws they pass in states, like their Republicans are pushing oh, yes. their agenda really hard oh, at yes. the local level, yeah, like Alec, when they get together with corporations and produce model legislation. They instituted at the state level. That's why um, you saw that spate of Religious Freedom Acts that mm-hmm. tried to um, protect you, your right to discriminate against gay people. Yeah. All, and they came out all at once. Yeah, and they yeah. came out at the state level.
1: Yes, or obviously all of the anti-choice legislation that we see, yeah. the transvaginal ultrasounds. Um, um,
0: closing down abortion clinics because you know the hallways aren't wide enough or yes.
1: whatever. Yes, yeah, that's that's all things to state they're Ironclad grew up on statewide offices, and there really isn't a lot being done to change that on the Democratic side. Like, there isn't a lot of organizing even happening around it, as far as I know. Um, So I think that's really important. And I also think another really important thing to consider is um, the issue of inequality and whether we think that she would do anything to address inequality. I, I just... I don't believe it. I don't think she cares about inequality in the slightest. It's not an issue that she would have even talked about at all, but for Bernie Sanders running, basically. So the idea that we would basically just have a a country where nothing changes when we elect her yeah. is awful. Yeah,
0: We were talking about how, but the college program should means test it so rich people don't get the benefits. Mm. That's like... And I learned this from Bernie Sanders because uh, a few years ago he was defending Social Security. There, um, frequently, the first thing about Social Security is if you earn above one hundred sixty thousand, is it, you pay the same amount as somebody who earns one hundred sixty thousand. It's
2: one hundred twenty. One hundred twenty,
0: Lubitsa says. So rich people aren't paying into the system as much as they should be. No. Republicans were trying to push a measure so that if you make above two hundred fifty thousand, you don't get the benefits at all. Yeah. But. Bernie Sanders opposed that, not because he wants rich people to get government money. He opposed it because government should do things for the people, and it's not right to take it away from any person. Um, And for Hillary to say, like, well, we shouldn't give Donald Trump's kids free state tuition like Bernie Sanders wants to. It's like implicitly accepting that we don't want government to do things for people. We only want government to help people who are like really poor and need the help. And what we really want is a society full of um, powerful entrepreneurial individuals who will make things work for themselves. Mm. And we will only let government step in when people are like struggling and super need the help instead of having, you know, like a Norwegian socialist system where we just have government collectively pay for things like health care instead of having Obama um, give you tax breaks. If you have trouble affording your health care, we should just have a system that provides health care to all the people. Yeah. Because you know because that'd be a great government government whatever
1: we want it to be <laughs> like yeah. especially in a democratic society like yeah. it's so crazy to me that we are trying to limit government yeah. like why like yeah, in terms of the spying and shit, I'm all for limiting yeah. the power of government but when it comes to government taking care of people and being useful in our yeah. lives, well, of course, we will need to yeah. collectively pay for things like health care or roads. And or... it should take
0: care of everybody. Yeah. Even if you're rich, it should still take yes. care of you. Why yeah. not?
1: Again, especially in a country where we have no safety net. You're rich today. Your, your money's gone tomorrow. Yeah. Like, if, You know, it's kind of crazy to me that like people, I mean, who are like maybe rich, but not like, you know, whatever, Donald Trump rich, yeah. think that they should be voting in in uh republicans that that doesn't make any sense they're the ones who like vote to take any protections away from you basically it makes it a much more volatile system in which you're likely to lose your wealth unless you're one of the giant corporate players basically you know i think some other questions to ask ourselves in terms of like is this a good idea or not um are first of all like do we even think that she can win let's say she wins I don't yeah I don't know Do why we think she could win a second term even if she wins this time I don't around.
0: see why it's so assumed that she'd be better in the primary or the general election than Bernie when like 40% of the country doesn't trust what she says no
1: it's like 60% yeah. it's I really mean, bad
0: I'm a Democrat and I don't yeah. I was thinking about this before but it's the same with O'Malley uh, when he is up there saying things you know it's just clear that he's saying them to try he's to say the correct so thing.
1: so thirsty he he's is thirsty. thirsty yeah that's a desperate good way to he just wants power. And you know, I saw
0: a video of him where he was doing like a thing where he's hopping on the back of the garbage truck and he's picking up bags and throwing them in. And in that instant, I was like, fuck this guy. This is you don't do this. You're doing this. And then you're putting your suit on and you're going I don't know to like a fancy lunch or something. Yeah, yeah. You're just pandering, and that's yeah. what I see in the debates too. But Not it's the same. Not to
1: mention that the wire is about Martin O'Malley's yeah. Baltimore. So let's be real.
0: Yeah, the politician in the wire is apparently based on Martin O'Malley, <laughs> and um, and he's a
1: rat. <laughs>
0: <so>. <laughs> yeah, it's about how like maybe you start out with good intentions, but then you end up just begging for money all the time yeah, yeah. and making poor decisions that hurt people. <laughs> Uh but it's the same with Hillary like she's just up on that stage clearly saying what she thinks people want to hear. Yeah. Um she doesn't have real authenticity. No. Right? Or even the appearance of authenticity the way Obama does. Yes. You know. Yeah. You never really know what Obama's thinking, <laughs> but it seems like he's being authentic. Yeah. And even it was the same with Bush and Bill Clinton. They have like that degree of appearing authentic yeah and i think you need that just to get elected yes especially now more so than in the 90s even
1: yeah i mean like the fact that like the base isn't interested in hillary and uh republicans obviously hate her Yeah. yeah it's like can she win a general election and then even if she wins this time can she win a second time like is that what we want just four years of hillary Maintaining the status quo and then a different Republican to take over, you know, I'm I don't really like see a great future there. So I also, you know, have have like the pie in the sky hopes that um, if if Hillary were the nominee and she didn't win this time around, that in 2020 we get Elizabeth Warren running, Um, because I think that the message to the Democratic Party would be very clear that we are not going to take a new democrat we want a progressive that we actually like and trust and i think in that case they would really try to get elizabeth warren on the ticket um because you know they they still want to win even if they are completely spineless most of the time yeah But, but
0: that's how politics works in america right That's why we don't we don't have have to
1: push them to do what you want.
0: But like we don't have third parties. No third party wins anything. Instead, um, it's it's clear to a party like the Democrats or Republicans more recently that a big section of their base are dissatisfied. And then the party has to make steps to court those voters back in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going towards that idea of like reforming the party. Um, You know, one thing that I find really irritating about the current Democratic Party is just how obviously they're colluding to um, make sure that Hillary Clinton gets the nomination. So it's been discussed, but, you know, obviously the, the debate situation is meant to benefit Hillary Clinton by limiting the amount of exposure the other candidates get. And sort of limiting the amount of um, flack that she can get for the things that she says. So during the last debate, I mean, it got some coverage, but I feel like not enough.
0: Well, uh, you're saying they limited the amount of debates, right?
1: Yeah, they limited the amount of debates and they put them on like Saturdays and Fridays. Times when people are like out or times like after like... um, I think one is like right before Christmas. Yeah. That's so shady.
0: You mentioned that to me and I hadn't even thought about that. It's like, oh, they put it on Saturday so nobody would watch it. Yeah. And so nobody reports on it exactly. right away because the media don't work.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So there's like limited coverage. Yeah. And then... What did she say? Um, At the... Well, so there's limited coverage. And then um, on top of that, what happens is on like Monday and Tuesday, there's like some discussion, but it's like a summary of the debate. It's not like the debate being discussed in detail. So, for example, when she said that the reason that she got Wall Street donations was because 9-11, that was disgusting. And she got not really that much flack for it, and she has since used that line again. Really? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. And then the other uh, problem that I have with that in terms of the Democratic Party is, okay, one, you're like corrupt as fuck, but two, they're just seeding the, the national conversation to uh, the right. Yeah. So when there's a Republican debate, they get like a, all the viewers (laughs) they get so you know huge uh numbers in terms of viewership huge yeah Uh, and then after that it's discussed in detail on every single network for hours after the debate and then for days after on top of that it continues to be dissected because let's say it's on a wednesday there's like a few more news days after that right so All the crazy Republican talking points um, about babies being cut up by Planned Parenthood and how we have to like, how we can't trust Iran on the nuclear deal and whatever other crazy thing they come up with that week gets discussed in full detail as if it's like, like serious points that we should consider. While... On the other hand, ideas like, I don't know, climate change that actually get debated and talked about in the Democratic debate get completely overshadowed because by Monday, when you put the debate on Saturday, by Monday, you know, people will talk about a few lines like that time Bernie said he doesn't give a fuck about Hillary's emails. And what they won't talk about is the, where the, the, in detail where Hillary stands versus Bernie versus Martin O'Malley on climate change hint, she's the worst, like, (laughs) you know, so, um, so what happens then when you look at the the general discussion and media coverage is that the Republicans' ideas are front and center and completely dominating the conversation. And they're deciding basically the issues that we discussed this election. And the Democrats are hiding on Saturdays because <laughs> they are afraid that if someone hears Bernie's ideas, they might actually decide yeah. they like him better. And, and, and yeah. so, you know, in terms of just like, what this Democratic Party is doing and how they're treating their voters, that alone makes me want to, like, force them to lose because it makes (laughs) me so angry that they think they can do that, that they think they can manipulate us, and that in the process of trying to shove Hillary down our throats, they're completely letting... Again, we're not talking about climate change in 2015. We're talking about... A fake propaganda video about dead baby parts, <laughs> you know, like it's insane, and that's that's because that is undoubtedly to some extent because of the, the way these debates are being covered and yeah. and how they've been set up.
2: Because of Debbie.
1: Yes, because of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, my favorite person in the world. <laughs> so that's another reason that I am deeply turned off by where the Democratic Party currently is and why. I wonder whether um, having a candidate like Hillary Clinton lose, who the Democratic Party is obviously 100% uh, uh, standing behind, um, might send a strong message a, and a strongly needed message to this party that they need to like get off the center and join us here on the left. But in this case, it's like, well, we have this other option, and we've seen, for the at least for the first time, I think, in our lifetimes, that... Um, that there can be a strong, popular progressive character, uh, um, character, no, a candidate, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, who can speak not only to you know lefty liberals like us who like to like think about you know the Apollonian versus the Dionysian or whatever watching Top Chef, but also to like you know blue collar folks who are like concerned about their jobs and who otherwise think of liberals as you know latte drinking nerds, um and and don't identify with um the way most progressives have been presented in the past you know we've talked for a long time about wanting a strong progressive candidate and how we do think that that would allow people who feel disenfranchised because of their economic situations to identify with um, progressives um, and and ultimately with their own interests Um, and It's like the first time... Instead of
0: xenophobic Republicans who scapegoat immigrants.
1: Yes, yeah. And it's like the first time I've ever seen a candidate like that in our lifetimes. You know, it almost felt like I didn't even know if our nominating process ever would allow for that or something. And now that I've like seen it and I see Bernie, Hillary, it's just, it's so... uh, It's so disappointing by comparison that like her candidacy... That it's really very difficult for me to get behind her and basically send a message to the Democratic Party that, well, I guess, you know, any democratic candidate is better than nothing, you know, because I don't think that's true. and i'm not I'm not so sure at, at all anymore that that is the best way forward for long term uh, change, you know.
0: And it's not just, like, the lesser of two evils, I guess. It's somebody that I actively disagree with on most issues. Yeah. So it seems weird to, like, bite the bullet and vote for her.
1: break her down on the issues, especially based on her actual record, not what she says right now, um, is, like, a moderate Republican. I mean, she's really not that much better than a lot of Republicans, you know, like, the biggest difference I can see is in terms of women's reproductive rights. But again, those need to be, um, we need to start changing the power uh, structure at the state levels. You know, we need to build a democratic machine or progressive machine in the states. That's not something that's going to change because Hillary Clinton's president.
0: Yeah. If you're going to settle for a lesser to evil situation, Democrats are just going to keep Um, Always having the same policies as Republicans except supporting abortion rights and except they support gay people. Otherwise it's the same. Yeah. Hillary is definitely not less likely to lead us into a middle Eastern quagmire.
1: I guess we can wrap it up here. Um, But I hope that this gives you guys some food for thought. And like I said, let us know what you think because um, you know, we're still working this stuff out. Like, you know like we said in the beginning we really weren't sure where we stood on this until we read these articles and then they really made us think so we thought we'd share them with you guys and hopefully make you think as well um so you can write on our facebook wall or you can tweet us at cold pizza party or uh oh we have um coldpizzaparty at gmail.com if you want to email us there so there's lots of ways to get in touch with us and tell us what you think and um, yeah until next time yeah Yeah.
0: thanks for listening we'll be back in like a week probably something like that
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll try to be more consistent and do better
2: (laughs) bye
1: bye